Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brenda. I was, my wife was saying that these looked like they were going to fall over, and it was a distraction. So let me straighten those out. Um, I don't notice those types of details, so fixing that now. Good morning, church. It's so good to be with you, whether you're in person or online, and just great to be gathered. And I know it's raining out there. I'm not you know, five days into the rain, I'm ready for the sun, but um, I know our city needs it. Um, Today we start this series, and I don't think I've ever had a series titled with the word hell in it. And this is going to be a seven-week series between Pastor Brenda and myself. And the reason we wanted to, to go into these topics is because they shape how we do our faith. They shape how we do life. And If you were like me, you grew up with a lot of misconceptions about both of these things. And so today I'm going to give us a bit of an overview. We're going to talk about heaven and earth specifically today in that pairing that we find in Scripture. But these are not original ideas for me. I'm not inventing these ideas. These books have helped me to unpack Scripture. And so Um, After the service, if you want to um, see them more closely, you can do that if you want to take a picture of them. Don't take them yet, because I do need them for the rest of the series, but there's some great um, scholarship in those books that have helped me as I've re-looked at my own theology in this area. Now, here's the basic message I received early in my Christian journey. We have our life here on earth. When we die, that life will come to an end. And then there will be a judgment, and you will go to heaven or hell. This was my message. I talked to somebody right after the 930 service, and they said, this is what I believed before the 930 service started. This was my worldview of my whole Christian life. And so I know it's not just me that was given that message. And it's certainly a popular message even in movies, right? Um, This big decision. And I was told that I needed to say the sinner's prayer, Um, which was confessing my sins, declaring Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, and then, boom, I get to go to the place up there, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer, but it's so often talked about as this golden ticket that you have to do this in order to gain acceptance into heaven. And this idea that my salvation is only really about me, my personal transformation, my personal morality, um, is not the story that we see in Scripture. Now, I don't know what you think about heaven. Do you think about it as that place just beyond reach, like just beyond the clouds? I know as a kid I had that image, you know. It's just beyond where we can see. It's up there someplace Years ago, the first Russian astronaut that was in space came back and said, there is no God. I was in space and I did not see heaven. Therefore, it does not exist, right? Maybe most of us don't think of heaven that way, but maybe we think there's some type of chasm between heaven and earth and we just can't quite reach it. It's out there somewhere, but it doesn't have any connection to my life right here, right now. We might think it's this lovely place up in the sky with streets of gold um, where people worship every day. Now, that's the story I was given if I had said this prayer. The other place down there is where I would be going if I did not say that prayer. Okay, It was this place of eternal punishment, fire, pain, and torture. 
there was this judgment from God that would a little bit like be kind of a YouTube movie of your whole life and everything that you had done wrong. And God would be there watching it with you um, before he condemned you, right? Every Sunday, now the church I was in at that time, um, you had Sunday morning service and you had Sunday evening service. And if you wanted to go to the place up there, you were better off going to both services on Sunday. So we did. And every Sunday night, there was the same message from the pastor, and I, I remember it. If you were to die on the way home today, do you know where you would go? That's pretty intense for a six-year-old, right? I did not know where I was going to be going, but I knew where I didn't want to go. We got a bigger description of hell than we did of heaven. It was scary message, and it was based on fear. And so often, fear is a powerful motivator. The only problem with this story is, is the Bible itself. The Bible does not lift up this story. The, the problem with that view is several. One, it gives way too much weight to hell. It makes my individual destiny the point of Jesus' work. And it portrays heaven and hell only as future realities. See, the Bible gives us a completely different view of heaven and hell from that first image. The book of Acts. So the book of Acts is the first book after the Gospels. It's the story of the early church. And the beginning of that is the Holy Spirit coming down and filling followers of Jesus. We see how the early church is acting out their faith, right? And you get pretty much eight gospel sermons delivered in Acts. Eight gospel messages. And guess what? Heaven or hell are never mentioned in terms of these future realities. And the whole book, hell is not even mentioned in the whole book of Acts. And you would think, these early believers, these disciples of Jesus, if that was what we were supposed to focus on, would have done that, but they did not. Hell is never used as a motivation for non-believers to believe. It's only used to warn God's people, God's people about being faithful. Judgment in the Bible is actually seen as a good thing. Now, we're going to talk about there is a judgment, and, and we're going to talk about that in future weeks. Um, but just to highlight a little bit about that, you know, hell is something that the Bible does talk about. Um, there is a real hell right now that I've walked with people through very difficult situations, right? Whether that's oppression or abuse, we know of trafficking, we see wars like in the Ukraine. Um, you don't have to wait for that type of challenge and difficulty. But hell in the Bible is this place outside the city, this place that cannot fit into new creation, whether that's evil, right, injustice, oppression. Those have no place in new creation, and so hell is that place outside of new creation where those things will go. They will not make it into new creation, but we'll spend more time on that in a future week. Rather, we get this image here of this creation of heaven and earth, a separation of those two, not completely separate, and then a reconciliation of heaven and earth, this promised land right here, right now. Heaven and hell are never paired together in Scripture. I've got this Bible app. You can look up all sorts of things. And I looked up heaven and earth. Heaven and earth over 180 times in Scripture are mentioned in the same verse together. This is the narrative. I was like, where was this when I was younger, right? Right? 
Heaven is where God's rule happens. It's where his will happens. And we begin this place in creation. Everything is good that God has made. Humanity is very good. We get this original blessing, if you will, upon what God has made, and that includes us. We see the very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2 of Genesis, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Over and over we see this pairing, and this is God's story about these two places. God saw creation, and it was good. He created us in his image, right? It was very good. We see God creating Eden, this garden. And this garden that God creates in the center is really a temple. John Walton in his book here on Genesis 1 talks about this imagery that is used in Genesis 1 of temple. And maybe you've never thought of the Garden of Eden that way. I had not but it's all filled with temple language, this, this heaven and earth together where God is sovereign. And what does this God do? He creates us. He creates images, right? Not idols, not statues. He creates humanity in his image. And God gives part of his sovereignty, part of his rulership to us is humanity, both kingly responsibilities and priestly responsibilities. He gives us the ability to rule over the earth. He also gives us priestly responsibilities in taking care of the earth. He has deputized us, if you will, with his rulership in this world. Now, God was going to be king forever over this grand project, and he, he, he delegates this, right? And he gives it to us at this garden, in this temple, if you will, to do the work that he has given to us. And that was our first vocation, those kingly and priestly responsibilities. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that that did not last, Right? Our vocation that God gives us fails, right? Instead of overseeing and stewarding the earth, right, we give a piece of our authority to creation itself. The garden is supposed to expand to fill the whole earth, but we see this rupturing. We see this rupturing with the fall, which is what we call what happened in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve choose what God has told them not to choose, They've chosen a bit of creation to go after, a bit of letting themselves be God instead of reflecting the image of their creator. The fall allows chaos to enter into creation itself. That rupture between heaven and earth has begun, and God pushes them out of the garden, but God does not abandon them. He is still with them. But things have changed. Adam and Eve now need to cover themselves. But this heaven and earth place has been ruptured in order to mediate these connections between God. We have things like synagogues, right? We have temples and tabernacles. We have sacrifices. God provides a place 
for God and humanity, heaven and earth to connect. Paul talks about this as in Romans where he says there was this rupture. We worship created things rather than the creator. We see the effects of sin, not just in our relationship with God, but with Cain and Abel, as Abel is murdered by his brother. We see, so we see this fall in the earthly realm, but we also see this parallel fall in the heavenly realm. There's some wild stories in the first six, seven chapters of Genesis. We see these characters, the Nephilim, these, these godlike characters that came to earth and chose women for themselves. And it's the same word that says Eve took the fruit. These godlike beings took people. And so we see this parallel rupture in the heavenly realm and, and the earthly realm, this cosmic breaking between heaven and earth. And just as sad as I was looking through the early chapters of Genesis over these last few weeks, this verse was just sad to me. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, walking away from God. We see Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, a people who have forgotten God completely. It's all about themselves, how much they can do for themselves, what a big tower they can build for themselves. They don't need God to get to heaven. They can accomplish that on their own. So God has not given up, though, on humanity, right? He doesn't just say, okay, I'm done with them. He enacts a redemption plan. In Genesis 12, he chooses Abraham to be the father of a people that will represent God's goodness on earth, that will become a blessing not just to those people, but to the whole earth. But now this intimacy between the Father and us is mediated through sacrifice, through temple, through these overlap of heaven and earth spaces. Sometimes God engages humanity directly like Moses and the burning bush, but often it is mediated. But we see this story of reunification This desire to bring new heavens and new earth. Isaiah says it this way, See, I will recreate new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So we know, if you know the biblical story of God's chosen people, is that they become unfaithful to God. They walk away from God. God allows them to be conquered. His people, this blessing, have instead of becoming the solution, have now become part of the problem. And the Old Testament ends with, when is God's people going to be redeemed? When is God coming back to be king? What's next? So the New Testament doesn't start with a new plot. Rather, Matthew, the first gospel, starts us with season two of God's redemption plan. He lists the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Abraham, back to Genesis 12, connecting with what he's doing with God's original redemption plan. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke's genealogy connects Jesus all the way back to Adam, this creative thing that God was doing. And so these early biblical writers had this narrative of all the way back to creation, heaven and earth coming back together. And that's the beginning of the restoration that God wants to do and is starting to do. 
Restoration makes us look like Jesus again in our relationships with God, in our relationships with one another, in the systems that we are a part of, in our creation care. And we are right now in this overlap. We're in this overlap of part of new creation is happening and old creation is still lingering around. And so we get to be a part of God's kingdom here, God's kingdom now. When it talks about God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven in Scripture, it's talking about God's rule here, the way things ought to be. We're in this already, his kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully realized. It's partially here. It has begun. But heaven is invading earth through Jesus. And this is Jesus' prayer. In Matthew 6, his disciples are saying, how should we pray? And he gives them this prayer. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, again, this coming together of heaven and earth is at the heart of what Jesus wants us to be praying for. Coming back together. Reconciliation. Last fall, we talked about what is life supposed to be like in this kingdom, and it's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about how we're to live transformed, how our lives are to be transformed. We're to be living as kingdom ambassadors in this new creation. So you have this creation, fall, redemption, restoration arc in the Bible, and I borrowed a quote um, from N.T. Wright that Pastor Brenda uses in the core class, and it says this, it is the only story, this creation, fall, redemption, restoration story, that explains the way things were, the way things are, the way things could be, and the way things will be. This is kind of that biblical arc that God invites us into. Now, we started with Genesis, Genesis 1. God created the Heaven and the earth. All right, we got one of our teens was bold to speak it out, right? Thank you. And now we come to Revelation, the very last book of the Bible and the second to last chapter. I've asked Minos to do our reading from Revelation 21. Let's hear that now. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of God. Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Minos, for that reading. So this very first verse here, verse 1, 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. See, under that old paradigm of earth and then heaven or hell, I was told this earth is gone, and this is the verse that shows it. So we don't have to take care of this earth, right? It's our individual escape plan to heaven. And yet that's not the biblical story, right? It's a new heaven and a new earth, but the Greek here, there's two words for new in Greek. One is neos, and that's brand new, right? Brand new. The other word for new is kainos, which means it existed before, but it has a new quality to it. It's existed, and now it's been renewed or restored. So like Taekwun over here in Central, the old police area and jail, has been made new. This Greek word, right? Kainos. It's been made new. It's been refurbished. It wasn't torn down and rebuilt. And so that's what the story is of our earth here. It's He is making all things new. He's not making all new things. That's an important distinction. Earth is not going to be replaced but restored. So our lives matter right here, right now. And it says, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her garden. So we... We started in Genesis 1 with the Garden of Eden, and, and most religions, and, and even you know myself, I can think about, I want to connect with God. I'm going to go out in nature. I'm going to go away from the city, right? I'm going to go to these natural places, and, and those things are, you know, do connect with God there, right, if that's where you want to go. But here, this is a surprising thing. It's not a new Garden of Eden came down. A new city came down, and that should encourage us as city dwellers, Right? But it's a renewed and redeemed and restored city, perfect in how it functions. There's no isolation, right? There's no poverty. There's no hunger. This is a new city that functions as God intends and where God is present in it. God himself will be there with them. He will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Who wants to be in a place like that? I know I do. And God invites us into making that place happen. We don't do it all on our own. Our job isn't to do the whole restoration. We pray, as Jesus taught his disciples, for God's kingdom, for things to be here like it is in heaven. And then he invites us into doing our work to make that happen. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Again, he's not making all new things. He's making everything new. And this journey of earth and heaven coming back together will happen, and we get to be a part of making it happen. See, my, my deconstruction of that first image of you, you die, you're judged, you go to heaven and hell, and, and reconstruction expanded my view. It became not just this personal morality plan or my personal escape to heaven. It actually took God's concerns more seriously, that yes, he wants 
to save me. He wants relationship with me. But actually, he wants to not just restore my relationship with him. He wants to restore my relationship with self. He wants to do a transforming work in my life, the areas that are not God-centered, the areas of struggle, those old things of, of, of old creation that are still within me, selfishness and anger, choosing my own way. He wants to transform that. God also wants to restore and redeem my relationship with others, those in my family, right? Those in our church, those in our workplaces. He wants to restore systems, systems of oppression, systems that um, make the rich richer and the poor poorer. He wants to restore all of how we function in our culture that is not going to come into new creation. He wants to restore this world. Can you imagine a world with no pollution? No COVID? He invites us to partake in that now, to be a part of the solution. We have access to heaven now. Yes, there is a future element of it that will be fully happening, but we actually get to be a part of making that happen right here and right now. We can be in touch with what God wants to do. See, Jesus doesn't just say pray for earth and heaven to come together. He charges his followers to be a part of making that happen. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you that you are a God who, who is with us. You were with Adam and Eve. You were with your people. Jesus, you walked here in this place of earth. You came to bring your message and your redemption and restoration, and you have sent your Holy Spirit to be within us now. You don't leave us to do this job on our own, God, but you want to restore all of these things, all of these relationships. You want us to be able to partake in that, to receive that, to, to experience our own redemption. God, you don't teach us, and Jesus, you didn't teach your followers to pray, help me get out of this place, help me escape. God, but you said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may that be our heart as well, God, that we would pray for it, that we would want it, that we would work towards it. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.